I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Robin Cruz. She's an author and certified coach. Her new book is Making Peace with Your Plate, Eating Disorder Recovery. Anorexia has the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. Binge eating disorder, and the acronym is BED, and bulimia can also bring misery and death. There are an estimated 70 million people who suffer from eating disorders, yet their loved ones, as well as adults who have overcome eating disorder behaviors, still have eating disorder thinking. Robin Cruz, a mental health advocate who found recovery from an eating disorder, provides expert guidance for those seeking eating disorder recovery, their loved ones, and treatment professionals. She helps unshackle us from our fears, anxiety, and the need to control by providing proven strategies for recovery and taking back our power from the illness. She's an active blogger, freelance writer, and author of a children's affirmation book. Welcome to the show, Robin. Nice to have you on. Thank you so much, Catherine. I'm honored to be here. Well, not only is your book important, but I think, again, it's important in the context of what's happening now with COVID-19, because how you eat and what we eat is so important in order to keep up our uh, immune system at at this crucial time. So uh, it it really, you know, so it really is important for us, and you're the expert on nutrition and the expert, obviously, recovering from um, a mental illness. Uh, And we're also concerned about our anxiety levels at this time. So where to begin? Uh, 70 million people suffer from eating disorders. That's a lot of people. Yeah, that's worldwide. And 30 million people within the United States. 20 million of those will be girls and women and 10 million of those will be um, boys and men. Now you have you what you had your eating dis- well, I guess are you always recovering you were you had you were in the midst of it you, ten years right am I right yeah from well eleven through to twenty nine so seventeen years seventeen years okay or eighteen years I'm hope I'm hopeless in math these days <laughs> I believe that was eighteen years yeah eighteen years in my um, eating disorder and I seventeen years. Um, actually in recovery. Yeah. Talk to us how it began. I mean, where, you know, I mean, how old were you when you first recognized that you had an eating disorder? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I didn't recognize that I had an eating disorder when it started. I was 11 years old. Um, My mom was diagnosed with an autoimmune illness. Uh, called lupus back then it was really really rare you know they don't we don't we talk a lot about lupus and autoimmune diseases now but back then when I was a child we didn't um, talk about that you know especially lupus it was very rare as I said and um, you know uh, I remember very clearly how my relationship built when I was told that news it was as you can understand it was very very traumatic for me to hear that as a child, that my mom might be dying. You know, they had tried all these different medications and her kidneys were failing and the doctor finally said to her, listen, you have to prepare your family. And I can't imagine what that was like as a mother uh, to have to say that to my children. And um, But she did. And with trauma, um, you know, and my gene pool and the environment, it was a perfect combination lock 
for me to become susceptible to an eating disorder. Um, you have to remember that eating disorders are really their mental illnesses, and as a child, food and my relating to it became something that I could control. And so I turned to food, and I remember when I first turned to food, I um, started overeating, and um, it actually suits me. I, I often say to people that if an eating disorder actually had a voice, you know, if it could talk, it would sound very much at the beginning like my mom. It was very soothing for me, and it made me feel like I could control the, the anxiety and the fear um, that uh, was happening, you know, with my mom dying. The food actually was my comforter until it wasn't, you know. But that's really how it started for me. And when you say until it wasn't, until it wasn't, what happened? Mm-hmm. Well, at some point, you know, these eating disorder thoughts, you know, I look at eating disorder thoughts like intrusive thoughts right? They just come, and when we start paying attention to those thoughts, we um, they become its own identity, right? And it starts running the show. And so what was comforting to me by being able to, like, pick up food um, at one point became uh, very dictating, you know? Um, and then Outside things, you know, my body started to show my relationship with food. It started putting on a lot of weight, and then I started to be bullied, and then I started to control, try to control the food, right? And so now this thing that I went to to comfort was actually running the show. It was kind of the thoughts were, you're too fat, you're being seen, you're fat, you're ugly, you're this, you're that, you've got to starve. So that started becoming this very negative cycle that I became stuck in. Can you relate this because you just mentioned control? It's all about control or feeling like that's one way you can control your life, as you say, if you have a, a you know traumatic whatever the trauma is occurring in your life. So now here we have a trauma. We we are that mm-hmm. we are. It's really something that out of our control, a virus. Um, how do we, you know, it would seem to me this is like the sort of the perfect storm for people who have this disorder to just yeah. sink back into it. I mean, to, to revert yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it's interesting you say that because I've been saying, uh, thinking about that a lot too. And how do I step up my efforts as an advocate to really encourage people when it does feel like, well, well, the world is coming to an end, right? This is how they feel. Like people with anxiety and eating disorders, you know, their fears tend to override them and they we become catastrophic, right? Our thought process, as you know, as a social worker, the catastrophic kind of thinking can get us into doing things to self-soothe, right? And so here we are, we're in a pandemic. Well, I can't think about recovery, we might say, well, look what's going on. We're in a pandemic. I've got this too much to do. I've got it. But I'm going to say to you, actually, this is the right time. This is the right time to take contrary actions and to put your recovery first. Because you know what? We can't help. We can't do our part when we're not helping ourselves. But having said that, during this time, compulsions can become heightened, right? Because it does feel like we have no control. 
And the truth is we'd never have control over other people and other things, but we have control over ourselves. But when we do feel like we're out of control and we do, we have to, we have to kind of put measures into place. Like, so I would say to you, do you have a support team? Do you have, um, a nutritionist? Do you have practices that you can help yourself with? Do you need to ask for help? Because here's the truth. Even though we are going through a pandemic and we are staying at home, there is still so much treatment that you can have in your own living room. There is support. So oh, there is support. Let's, I mean, let's get really specific for those people out there who need it and they are feeling overwhelmed and totally out of control. And, and you know, we don't have, to, I'm not going to repeat it, but what first step, support, 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 make sure I mean, if you feel like you're slipping backwards or you aren't going, you know, you're in recovery, but you're not sure you're going to be able to do it on your own. Where do you get the support? Do you get the support online? I mean, you can't, let's say you can't go yeah, out Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for, so for me, as a mental health advocate, I work for a company called Eating Recovery Center and Insight Behavioral Health. I know personally, I only speak for them because um, I know them. There's a couple of things I'm going to suggest. First of all, if you do need treatment, there is virtual IOP treatment available to you. You could go to eatingrecoverycenter.com and you can look at all their virtual support. The people that have been putting this in place for over three years, it's not something that they've just slapped together for the pandemic. They've been doing these services for three years and it's covered by all insurance. You can also go to a wonderful, wonderful resource called the National Eating Disorder Association.org. Go there, look at all their resources. They have online support available for you, free services in your hometown. It's a brilliant resource for you. Most importantly, you have to know that you are not alone. And also, listen, I'm an advocate. That's what I do at heart. That's the very reason I wrote Making Peace with Your Plate with Esther Andress is because I want people to know that they're not alone and that there is always help available. You can go, you can contact me at Robin Cruz, R-O-B-Y-N-C-R-U-Z-E. Message me. I will help you in any way I can. What about, Robin, how about specifically, I know, and I, I think I said this at the beginning of the show, uh, healthy eating. I mean, I, I'm assuming you're doing healthy eating now. Um, what should be, what, what should we be eating? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. This is an interesting topic because you're talking about optimum health for everybody, but then you're also, we're also talking about eating disorders. Eating disorders thrive on good and bad foods and dieting and controlling that's where that's where we find the control as those of us who've had eating disorders. I, I think for when we're talking about eating disorders, we have to be really careful that we don't label food good and bad. We, we that is not really the goal. Our goal is to build a relationship with that food. You know, talking about nutrition. Yes, there are foods prove your. Um, can give you more energy. Tech, you know, I'm not at a place when we're talking sort of to promote bad food because I think that that adds to the issue with eating disorders. So when you have an eating disorder and you're labeling foods good and bad, are there certain, I mean, is that 
does that is that flexible or fluctuate or are there certain foods that if you have one yeah. hasn't yeah what are those so so here's the issue right we have a debate we have there are good or bad foods right like sugar and white flour and then we have this um, other debate where um, there are no good or bad foods and labeling good or bad foods for those um, with eating disorders tend to trigger them. And so my focus would be, are you eating three meals a day, right, with uh, grains, fruit and vegetables, and protein and fats, right, in those meals? Are you eating two snacks a day, right? Because I'll... Did you, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to. I was just going to comment. Do you are you eating three meals a day, even in the context if you are having to stay in or, uh, you know, having to self quarantining or whatever it is? It would you want to make sure to keep a routine of eating th- three meals a day. And sometimes it's difficult because if you can't go outside, uh, one tends to not do that and you know, start grazing on foods and um, exactly. You know, so how do yeah. you? Exactly. So eat three meals a day. Again, the the focus would be on making sure that you have grains, you have uh, fruit and vegetables, you have um, fats in it, and you have protein at each meal. And then make sure that you have a snack, you know, some fruit and some protein or whatever that snack is to you, which is, is classified as a smaller meal, not... Um, a large meal. So make sure that you have that in place because the truth is when you're eating regularly, you're feeding your brain, right? You can think more clearly. Your body is not as stressed and you stick to those meals and it it creates a structure for you. Do you think we we have to be somewhat creative because I know um, either whether you go to the grocery store or you order food in, some of it's not available now. So we don't want to panic. So you might have to make substitutes, right? Make sure you know Absolutely. what... Yeah. But here's, here's the deal. This is not about perfection. You know, if you, if you have a meal and it has, you know, more grain than you would have liked, the, 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 the reality is, is that we deal with what we have. We do the best we can. We do the next best thing, right? And then we brush it off and we go to the next meal. We don't allow that thought process that I didn't do it perfectly to trigger us going into a binge or restricting at the next meal because those behaviors is what leads us back to eating disorder thoughts and eating eating disorder behaviors. So we do the next best thing perfectly imperfect. Because I think you want to build up a tolerance as well, right? Yeah. To not being perfect. I think that's critical. And yes, I mean, obviously, that's an ingredient with uh, an ingredient, uh, an emotional ingredient when you have an eating disorder, that idea that control and perfection, um, and you don't want to get into that mindset. So, I, I mean, that's and that could be really difficult, I guess, and and, that, and that's okay, and you can do substitutes, and it doesn't have to be perfect, because you're not going to necessarily get the perfect meal, however you're getting it, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, and uh, yeah, because... Yeah, 
I mean, there's a lot involved in that. Um, you know, in the book, Making Peace with Your Plate, there is a section dedicated to um, what I call the body conversation, and it takes you through how to create a structured approach, how to create your micro approach, and then how to create an optimum approach. Um, I personally am not a registered dietitian. We have consulted, Esther Andrus, the co-author, and I have consulted with many uh, diet- registered dietitians to come up with this food plan. And so, um, you know, there, is a, there are a lot of steps and there's a lot of guidelines that you can follow. Who's your, who would you say is your, just, uh, who's your, I would say, who's your best, your best support right now? My best support? Yeah, where do you get your oh, support? Oh, <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I am, I, support matters to me. Right. So, you know, my story is out there. I speak to my family and friends and they're very clear on what I, you know, who I am and what I deal with. But I have my family and friends uh, are vital to it. Not everybody has that. They don't, especially when you're in early recovery, maybe they don't feel comfortable talking to their friends or their family. But I also have online support. Um, that I go to, I go to meetings when I'm struggling. I go, I, you know, there is a, there is, I have faith, you know, so that's a part of my support team. But I would say that my best friends and my husband actually are my biggest support. How's your husband doing through all of this? I'm always, you know, my first guest, we were talking about that. You know, I don't know whether you are in or ha- having to self-quarantine or exactly what. Yeah. You, well, we're in Los Angeles. You're in L.A. We're in Los Angeles. So, yeah. So, um, it's been in place for a while. You know, honestly, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. We're all trying hard, you know. I'll, I'll give you an example. This is. You know, if somebody is out there and they're listening to your show, Catherine, and they're struggling within their recovery process, um, you know, I really feel like I have overcome an eating disorder. However, you know, when anxiety is high, there is sometimes I can catch myself mindlessly eating, right? Because as you said, we're at home, we don't have a new routine. And so I gently have to remind myself and do the next best thing. Um, so we have set up like in our bedroom, my husband and I have a little yoga place, you know, and we do online yoga. Um, my husband, Tim, he will meditate a lot. And I just, I just keep saying this to myself, what's the next best thing? What's the next right action for you to do, Rob, for yourself? That's really important. And that's what we teach our children, you know? I like that. What's the next best thing? What is the next best thing? What can I do now in the context of of my circumstances that, you know, that I Uh am uh, sheltering in place, I guess, in L.A., right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the next best thing that we get to do for our community as well. You know, I think that if you're struggling with mental health issues, look after yourself first. You know, that old adage about putting the oxygen mask on first before you put it on a child, that stands true here. What are you doing for yourself? And that access, what are you doing for your community? Because we're all in this together. We are all in this together at this point. We are all in this together. And I, I think it, it, it's really important, as you say, 
to share. I mean, that's why I'm sort of asking all my guests how they are coping, you know, um, and you all have different areas of expertise, obviously, but, um, you know, coping in terms of, you know, I asked you about you and your husband, but I think it's really difficult now for families and, uh, and couples and whomever has to live together under these kinds of, cir- um, t- the, the, you know, these circumstances. So um, I think sharing that's really important, um, and which you just did. Uh, do you have children? I do. I have, we have two children. We have a 13-year-old and a 12-year-old. And how are and they? Yeah, you know, yeah, they're homeschooling right now, and they're they're doing the best that they can. Um, you know, it's like what we talk about with the food, Catherine, about being perfectly imperfect. It's the same thing with homeschooling. You know, it's like so many people haven't done it before. We've been lucky. We actually traveled. My husband and I and the girls. We traveled the country last year um, in a converted school bus. Uh, talking about mental health awareness, and we stopped in all big cities, and we were talking about, you know, advocacy work. And so in that time, girls had to do online homeschooling. And so what was interesting is we had just um, started back at traditional school two weeks in, and then we had this, where the schools closed, and now they're back. And it's interesting, their perspective now um, on homeschooling and what it was before. You know, they didn't want to go to traditional school. They finally got them back, and after two weeks, they're like, I want to go back to school, you know, because isolation is real, yeah. you know? Yeah. It, 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 it can be lonely, and it can impact us. So, you know, what do we... We are, have to do the same thing for our children, you know? I have to remind my kids daily to exercise, you know, for a walk around the house, uh, do some yoga, play ball. They have to do it. I'm feeding them three meals a day, you know, just trying to be as consistent as possible. You know, I always say, you know, how do we stand still when our world is spinning? You know, a lot of us, a lot of us right now um, are dealing with anxiety, right? It's not just those who struggle with anxiety or have been diagnosed with anxiety and, you know, eating disorders because, you know, often under eating disorders are anxiety. There's not just those people. Everybody is dealing with anxiety, you know. Everybody is dealing with anxiety, and we only have a couple minutes left. That's true. And if you've already been suffering from overwhelming anxiety, this is going to exacerbate it. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I would probably be safe to say I don't that all of us have some level of anxiety, um, you know, uh, different, maybe different levels. But, okay, your book, I want to mention it again because people, they can uh, get the book online, Making Peace with Your Plate, Eating Disorder Recovery. And we've been talking to Robin Cruz. She's the author. She's a certified coach. Um, as I said, you can sit down and read your book. Uh, maybe to help alleviate some of the anxiety and uh, give us a website or uh, two or whatever where we can get more information about you and, um, and and what you're doing. Yeah. So the best thing to do is just to go to social media at Robin Cruz, R-O-B-Y-N-C-R-U-Z-E. Um, and you can find me there. 
that would be the best place. I would like to leave, Catherine, um, people with some words if they are struggling today with their eating disorder. I want them to You've got one minute to say it. Go ahead. Yep. Beautiful. I want people to know that if they are struggling, please, please be gentle with yourself. Practice um, self-compassion. And if you need help, please ask for it. This is the perfect time for us to ask for it. And there is help available. And recovery is so, so possible. Thanks so much for being on the show today, Robin. Um, great advice. Stay healthy. Thank stay you. well. And we'll talk you to you too, soon. Catherine. Yeah, thank Thanks you. for having me. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 